I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, or otherwise your attention to the screen, because we're just going to be thinking about one verse today for a little while. And that verse is tucked into the 29th chapter of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. So we've been in a series entitled Discovering God's Will Together, and we have talked about the importance and significance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ that gets us into his word, gets us into a conversation with him in prayer, gets us into self-examination so we can reflect him even better and more clearly. And then over the last few weeks, we have talked about the importance and significance of being one in Christ, of coming together for his mission and his ministry in this world. For he is our cornerstone. And so this morning, we're going to start to talk about how we can step into that, into that unity, and into his discernment, and into his will. So this one verse is in the 11th verse of that 29th chapter of Jeremiah. And there Jeremiah writes, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans that will give you hope and a future. There's a spiritual that goes like this. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Oh, my Lord. Well, I read about the streets of gold, and I read about the throne. Not everybody calling Lord, Lord, is going to see that heavenly home. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. The point, I think, is talk is cheap. Just because someone says, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean they're going to go to heaven. According to Jesus in his mountain message in Matthew, heaven is for those who do, for those who do the will of God. I think there are lots of people that want to go to heaven. So in order to do God's will, the first step, it seems to me, is to know what God is thinking. What is his will? But sadly, there are very few people that seek it out and even fewer people that want to do it. Seeking God's will is about as elusive as the Holy Grail. It always seems to be just out of our reach. And sometimes we think we have chosen the right path, and we're on the right path, and then all of a sudden things seem to get really, really messy. Discovering God's will is a process that takes time, and intention. So as we look to finish up this series, we're going to specifically focus on how we listen for God's voice, how we discern his presence, and how we can discover his will together. Everything we have talked about in this series up until now has been essential, but it's all, if you will, been preliminary to get to this point. So we have prepared intentionally by focusing on deepening our relationship with Jesus Christ, 
We have underscored the need to spend time with God in solitude and in silence, to be immersed in the scripture, to listen for God in prayer, to examine ourselves, to become more self-aware. We have said that those who have a deep relationship with God can best recognize his voice. And then we have discussed our unity in Christ, the unity of his church, and said that is essential. So having discussed the preparation, we are introducing a spiritual discipline of discernment together this morning. We'll continue to talk about discernment after we pause for the next two weeks and focus on Palm Sunday and then on Easter. And then we'll start to practice discernment together. So this morning, we're going to address, if you will, the prelude to discernment. And then over the next few weeks, we'll talk about the process of discernment and the pursuing of discernment and finally the practicing of discernment. While it's important for every believer to practice discernment in their own personal life, it is also for the, for the, crucial for the church, for the body of Christ, to practice discerning God's will together. Because it's not our church. It belongs to him. And if it's his church, it's his will, as we often pray, that needs to be done. But before we dig in too deep, let's define two things first. Let's talk about what is God's will, and then second, what is discernment? So what is God's will? Well, the will of God is perhaps one of the most confusing phrases in all of the Christian vocabulary. Sometimes we acknowledge that all things happen according to God's will. Sometimes we talk about being obedient and doing the will of God. And in talking about discernment, we talk about finding or discovering what God's will might be. It's confusing because we just used will of God in three quite different ways. Let's see if we can clarify what we're talking about just briefly. In scripture, God's will has multiple nuances. So the first side of God's will is God's will of decree. God's will of decree. That is, it is his predetermined sovereign will. This refers to what God has ordained. And when God decrees it, when God says this is the way it is, it is that way. Creation is an example. Let there be light, and there was light. God decreed it, it happens. From cosmic arrays to the hairs on our head. It is immutable, it is fixed, and it is designed for his sovereign purpose and glory. Second, there is also God's will of desire. God's will of desire. This refers to what God has commanded. That is, what he decrees for his creatures, or what he desires for his creatures. If his will of decree is how things are, his will of desire is how he hopes things should be. And that opens up that divine sovereignty versus human responsibility question, which is a wonderful discussion to have some other time. We are under God's sovereignty, but we are not free from human responsibility. And while God's desired will is to be obeyed, it can be, and sadly often is, ignored 
or disregarded. There's a third way that we talk about God's will, and that is God's will of direction, God's will of direction. We long to know what God's plan is for us personally, for our family, for our faith family. Looking back, we are often able to trace God's hand, bringing us to where we are, bringing our family to where they are, bringing the church to where they are. And so wondering where God might be in the future, we can look with confidence that he has been present with us in the past and know that God will have something to say about our future as well. He has plans for us. And so we seek to discern what God's will might be, what his wisdom is, what his direction is for our life, family, and church. And this, this is where it seems to get extra confusing. Common wisdom often says, God has one specific plan. He has one preordained spouse for each of us. He has X number of kids in mind. He has a certain vocation, a certain house that we ought to live in. All of that is laid out before us. And if we're able to discover what God's perfect plan is for us, well, then life will go well. But if we get off and we make a poor decision, one that isn't in God's plan, then life will be miserable. And I'm just thinking about the odds of trying to get that right every single time. That alone would simply make life miserable. Some people see God's will as sort of a corn maze. We've been dropped into the middle of it, and we have to find our way out of the one exit. Other people see it as the bullseye on a target, and there is only the center that is God's will that we ought to be aiming for. Well, all those pictures are not biblical. God clearly offers us his will of direction. With spiritual discernment, we will be focusing more on the process than on the actual decision or outcome. You see, in our decision-making, God invites us to begin with him, to spend time in his word, to spend time together in prayer, to spend time reflecting on his decreed and desired will, to remind us that the essence of life is to stay close to him. So God invites us to live life in community, to share our issues, to lean on one another, to listen to each other, to do the things that promote unity. So you may hear me say, process, process, process. It's the process, process, process. We're so often focused on getting it right that we ignore the process. And as a result, we find ourselves in a mess. But if we focus on a good process and if we pursue a good process, it normally leads to a very good result and a unified community. And so God will invite us to set our personal agendas aside. He will invite us to step into and listen to Scripture's wisdom and into the Spirit's promptings and into being together. Life is the sum of thousands and thousands of little decisions that you and I make. It's a journey. 
And if we make sure we walk, if we make sure we journey close to the Father and the Son, then God will bless us. So what then is discernment? Well, discernment is three basic things. First, discernment is the practice of discovering how and where God is at work in his world. How this divine wisdom, that is his plan that Jeremiah talks about, is unfolding. And how he wills us to participate personally and corporately in his mission. So discernment is the practice of looking for God everywhere. Discernment seeks to discover God wherever he is. So Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, known for his spiritual discernment exercises, defines discernment as, and I quote, finding God in all things in order that we might love and serve God in all things. So discernment is an intentional and increased attentiveness and awareness to God's presence that brings us into a growing sense of God's heart. So our heart resonates with his heart. Not only is discernment the practice of looking for God everywhere, it is the practice of listening to God everywhere. That is, in scripture and in prayer and in each other, which is underscoring the importance of community and in God's spirit moving in our hearts and in our life, in our relationships and in our vocations, in our responsibilities and our recreations, even in our downtime. Listening is one of the most important things that we can do. That's why God gave us two ears, but only one mouth. Discernment is paying attention to God who is at work in his world and in our life. Second, discernment is the practice of distinguishing between two or more paths. So spiritual discernment is the process of distinguishing between good, that is, what is God's desired will for our life, things that draw us closer to him, between good and evil, that is, those things that are outside of God's desired will for us and separate or push us away from him. Most of us are actually pretty good at discerning the difference. Not to say that we always follow through. But discernment literally means to separate, to discriminate, to determine, to decide, to distinguish between two or more things. A bit more Difficult discernment is to distinguish between the false self, that is the self that is controlled by my personal ego and intention and agenda, and the true self, that is the self that is reflecting God's love and God's grace. But the most difficult challenge of discernment is to distinguish between something that is good, that we like and enjoy, and something better that God is calling us to. You see, most of us figure if it's good, pursue it with all your heart because God is recommending it to us. The truth is, God might have something even better in mind for us. And then finally, in addition to discovering and distinguishing, discernment is deciding to do 
what God desires for us to do in ways that are consistent with his purpose. Discernment, the Apostle Paul says, is ultimately God working in us, enabling us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Philippians 2. After seeking God's perspective on ourselves and on our relationships and on our circumstances, discernment isn't complete until we actually act on it, until we actually do it. The actual word discernment doesn't appear all that often, seldom appears in the Old Testament. But as we read through the Old Testament, story after story illustrates individuals and in fact entire communities making God-honoring choices. Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Jacob, Sarah, Rachel, Leah, Hannah, Ruth, and Esther. Just a taste of the list. Discernment is an integral role in the Old Testament in the role of a prophet. God making his will known to them as they challenge God's people to be obedient. There are a few Old Testament passages that do cite discernment. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 30, where Moses invites God's people to discern and to follow God's way of life. Eli and Samuel are having a discussion trying to discern whether what Samuel has heard is the voice of God or not. Elijah in the cave discerns that God's voice is not in the wind, it is not in the earthquake, it is not in the fire but it is in the silence. In 1 Kings 3, Solomon asks for wisdom, literally for discernment. Give thy servant therefore an understanding mind that I may be able to discern, the scripture says, between good and evil. By contrast, the New Testament talks about discernment quite frequently. Jesus offers himself as the as the object of discernment with this question. Who is this man? That is the ultimate discernment question. And the discernment about who Jesus is is examined by every single gospel writer. They discern for us what it means to live as Jesus lives and how Jesus calls us to live. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 says we find the fruit when we enter into discernment and obedience. Paul says believers who have received the Holy Spirit are able to interpret and discern their Christian experience. John the Apostle sketches a basic theology of discernment for us in 1 John 4. He notes that there are different spirits that ought to be tested because not all are holy and Not all are right. John says that discernment comes through the Holy Spirit who is manifested in our inner experience and allows us to recognize and to know God. The New Testament, its call and invitation to discernment is addressed to every follower of Jesus, to every member of the holy priesthood we talked about last week. See, some faith communities uh, said discernment, well, it's just for the leaders. And while that was the vision of the Qumran community as expressed in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it is not the message of Jesus, nor the message of Paul or John or Peter. Their call is to be living stones built into a spiritual household. 
It's addressed to every believer in Christ, every follower of Jesus. Leaders, for sure, should discern how God wishes for them to live, and they ought to be out there as leaders, modeling it for the entire Christian community. But all believers need to grow up into maturity in Christ and be responsible members of the body. We all need to spiritually discern the basic decisions of life. To marry or not. If we're to marry, who are we to marry? Should we have children or not have children? And if we should have children, how many? What will our vocation or work be? What are our gifts and how should we use them in ministry? Sadly, in our busyness and in our self-focus, we have often lost the art of reflection, contemplation, and meditation. The truth is most of us live on autopilot. We make few well-discerned decisions. And although we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, very few of us prioritize it in our agenda. We like ours better. So there are several prerequisites for discerning God's will. Four, here they are. We need to have a desire to know God's decreed, desired, and directive will. That is, we want to know what God's will is. So do we. We need an ability to hear God speak. Do our roots with Jesus go down deep enough that we can recognize his voice. We need a commitment to do God's will. You see, Christian obedience is not an option that we get to decide on a per-issue discussion. It's a lifestyle. It's an overall commitment that we're going to be doing his will even before we know what that will might be. And fourth, a conviction that God loves us and always has our best interest at heart. So let's start with that fourth one for just a moment. That's a prerequisite. A deep confidence in God's love for us that enables us to trust God, that his intentions, what he wants for us, what his will is, is the best thing going. The second prerequisite, that is, the ability to hear God speak into our lives can be developed. We can develop that through spiritual direction, through mentoring, through practicing the disciplines, through getting involved in the scripture, through time in prayer, so that we can recognize his voice in our life. And if we're persistently obedient, every time we do what God asks us to do, we step a little bit closer to him. So if we're obedient, we can hear God. On the other hand, our disobedience pushes us away one step at a time. The first prerequisite, that is a deep desire to know God's will. It seems to me that's a desire that everyone who is fully committed, heart, soul, mind, and strength to following Jesus Christ has that desire to know what God's will is. Can we really be a follower of Jesus if we're not at all interested in what he wants us to do? But it's that third prerequisite, that commitment to always being obedient to his will that seems to me is the most challenging. Because you see, we're convinced that God is intelligent, that he is all wise, he is omniscient. <laughs> so we sort of intuitively assume he agrees with me. 
few people would say it that bluntly, but it's amazing to me how many people simply assume that God is good with whatever they want. God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. And if God wants me to be happy and this is what makes me happy, God must be good with it. Well, you see, I made the decision, I followed through, and God didn't strike me down with lightning, so God must be good with it. I actually had somebody say that to me on one occasion. It's easy to convince ourselves that God's will is exactly what we want God's will to be. Many seemingly devout people malign those who see things a little bit differently because... (laughs) Anybody who does not agree with me and God, because God always agrees with me, is obviously wrong. They must be delusional and they're probably not even going to heaven. Polarization is a secular phenomenon. The people of God are called to unity. When Jesus calls his disciples, the invitation is simple. Follow me. Today, if someone were to walk by you and say, Follow me. The first thing I would say, and maybe you as well, would be to where? Where are we going? Because I'm not just going to go someplace just because you invited me. I want to know in advance what this is all about. I want to be able to decide whether I'm going or I'm staying. And we want to do that with almost everything, including God's will. But following Jesus doesn't offer that option. It's all or nothing. All to Jesus, I surrender. To offer my obedience, even before I know what God wants, seems disconcerting and sometimes even rather terrifying. I mean, what if I commit to being obedient to whatever God wants and then God asks me to do something that I find absolutely repugnant? I want the right of first refusal. I want to be able to bargain with God. I want to say to God, Lord, I am willing to do whatever you want as long as you're willing to keep me in my comfort zone. You're not going to push me too far. I want veto power, if you will. God never offers that option. It's all or nothing. All to Jesus, I surrender. So who can effectively discern? Every believer, any follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, you and I, Everyone who is able to free themselves from their personal attachments to their own comforts and opinions and desires and agenda. St. Ignatius of Loyola says the whole spiritual struggle is, quote, to be free of disordered attachments in order that we might be truly free to find and to follow the will of God. That's called spiritual indifference. That is, Are you willing to be indifferent to anything and everything except for God's will? 
So we need to be free of the personal attachments. Second, we need to be intentionally seeking God's will. And third, we need to be committing to doing God's will even before we know what it might be. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus clearly states his preferred preference. But after what appears to be a very painful dialogue between him and the Father, Jesus comes to the point of saying, Father, it's not about my will. It's your will that has to be done. And I'll do it. The opportunity to spiritually discern is both a gift and the mark of Christian maturity. You see, discernment is a gift because unless God is willing to share it, share what his will is, we would be unable to discern it or know. So Paul lists discernment as a gift when he lists the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. David Lonsdale writes, discernment is one of the gifts that enables God's reign to not only to be not only a dream, but a daily reality in our lives. The gift of discernment impacts our daily living as well as our future destiny. Discernment is something that we need to take responsibility for and consciously work hard at. So a gift of God's sovereign grace and some human responsibility as well. Are we intentionally seeking God with our whole heart? Are we actively listening for him as he speaks? Are we fully committed to following, to obeying, to doing his will, even if it might not coincide with our will? In Romans 12, Paul identifies the ability to discern the will of God as the result of being spiritually transformed. He says, be transformed, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. First John, John instructs his readers to test the spirits to discern which ones are from God. And in doing so, John assumes that all the followers of Jesus are able to do that. So whether we feel gifted in this area or not, discernment, like prayer, like witnessing, it's not only an opportunity, not only a possibility, it's a responsibility of all who follow Jesus. So let me leave you with two foundational truths. First, God relates to us as mature believers. Thomas Green reminds us that God is neither a watchmaker nor a puppeteer, but the father of adult children. Many believers view God as a watchmaker. A watchmaker understands that there is a precise place for every part of the watch. If one piece is missing or one piece out of place, the whole thing doesn't work. Likewise, discerning and doing God's will for some people means trying to find that one precise way that God has predetermined that everything fits. Others view God more as a puppeteer. A puppeteer totally controls the puppet and the puppet has little or nothing to say about it. Likewise, some people view God as simply moving people around like the puppeteer on the stage of life. But Thomas Green suggests for us that we should think about this as God being a good parent. 
And when our children are small, we guide them through the dangers of life, through the busy streets and through the electric plugs and the warm clothing on a cold day and and nutritious food for them and how to use utensils or the benefit of using utensils at all. And as we learn and as we grow, our hands-on guidance slowly decreases until ultimately our children move out and establish their own lives and their families. Now as an empty nester, Our primary role is to love and to embrace and to support and to affirm them and encouragement. In the parable of the prodigal, Jesus said God is like a father who says, I'll let you go. And his son goes off and wastes his inheritance. And then this father is willing to welcome him back. Was it the father's will? Was it the father's desire that his son go off to a far country and waste everything? I doubt it. But the father doesn't impose his will. And even though the son didn't make the choices that the father wanted, the father reminds the son that he always loves him, always wanted him to come back home, and then he did. When the son was outside of his father's will, the son's life turned miserable quickly. When he returned, he was welcomed back, embraced, and a celebration was held. You see, discernment is the lifelong process of learning to live together as mature followers of Jesus. Second thing I'd like to leave with you is that God's will is ultimately for our good, and his will is ultimately pleasant like food that's really good for us always seems to taste awful we assume that God's will for us will be the most difficult and most painful path to take something we really wouldn't enjoy discernment becomes something then we try to avoid you know what if I don't know God's will then God won't be able to hold me responsible for not doing it, right? No. No. Discernment shouldn't be something that we need to talk ourselves into doing because we think the choice is always going to be between something we like and we want to do and something God wants us to do. The possibility that God's will is something wonderful and usually aligns with our deepest desire for some reason never seems to occur to us. The psalmist writes, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jeremiah writes here, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future You see, if we really believe that God has a better plan, if he has a better direction for our life, then why wouldn't we be eagerly seeking him with all our heart? Ignatius of Loyola suggests that sin is the the ultimate refusal to believe that God wants us to be joy-filled. When we don't believe that what God wants is best for us, as apparently Adam and Eve didn't, then I'm tempted to sin as they were. I'm tempted to take pursuing happiness and joy into my own hands. And that has never ended well.
So Sarah has made a puzzle for us. And we're going to put it together. Together. So at the end of this service, there are going to be some people at the doors as you walk out. And they're going to have a little bowl or a plate. And they're going to invite you to take two or three or four pieces out of there. We're going to build this puzzle together in the gathering place as sort of a metaphor, a picture, a paradigm of discernment of what it means to seek God's will together. So as God gives us these pieces, we get to put them together and we get to discern God's will. God provides his will to those who seek him, to the priesthood of believers, to Christ's church. So typically God spreads that will out He gives a few pieces to many members of the community so that we have to come together in unity to receive a clear picture of what he has in mind. Whether we're seeking God's will for our personal or corporate discernment, discerning God's will clearly requires that we seek, pray, and listen to the Spirit together. But unlike typical puzzle-making, but very much like spiritual discernment. We don't know what the picture of the puzzle is that we'll be making together until our pieces come and are put in place and we get to see. And although all the pieces may not get back, hopefully we'll get enough pieces that people are willing to put back in the puzzle so we'll be able to see a fairly clear picture of what's on the table. You see, discerning God's will together doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It requires a community where new and growing and maturing believers are experiencing God's transformation together. It requires a community engaged in practices that are sending down deep roots that are bringing us closer to Jesus and closer to one another. And when that happens... A spiritually discerning believer and a spiritually discerning church are born. So let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who is willing to reveal his will. Father, we have seen your decreed will. We are aware of your desired will. And Father, we long put our feet in the steps of your directive will. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the privilege of following and being obedient. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.